Hi, my name is Reese Wells. My pronouns are he, him, his, and this is the Counseling Connection Podcast. Okie dokie, no housekeeping today. Our podcast topic is relational cultural theory in the online classroom with Dr. Lucy L. Perguson. Dr. Perguson is an assistant professor in the Department of Human Development and Psychological Counseling in the Reich College of Education at Appalachian State University. She earned her PhD in counseling and counselor education from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Previously, she worked as a school counselor for five years in rural and urban settings, including Title I schools and a school specifically for newcomer, immigrant, and refugee students. Her research interests include understanding the importance of both online and offline relationships for immigrant and refugee students, and students of other underrepresented groups in both K-12 and higher education settings. In addition, she also pursues scholarship related to mentoring and supervision, with a specific emphasis on relational cultural approaches. I'm really grateful to have gotten a chance to interview Dr. P on this subject, In this episode, we're defining relational cultural theory, also known as RCT, how it relates to trauma-informed care in the online classroom. This episode has got a lot of zest to it, and you'll know what I mean shortly. If you're interested, you can find articles and additional information about this subject from my website at reesewells.com. And now, Dr. Lucy Perguson. Sweet. Here we are. Um, really psyched. I've got Dr. Lucy Perguson here talking with us about relational cultural theory and trauma-informed care, especially in the online counselor education classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited. Dr. P, thanks so much for taking some time today. Just for some context for those listening, Dr. Ferguson was one of my educators um, mm-hmm. and professors at Appalachian State University, and I'm really grateful to be in touch and to uh, be here in this space today. Cool, yeah, thanks Reese. I'm glad to be here as well. And it's always exciting um, to talk about things that I am doing in the classroom and to think about the audience of listeners. And um, and for me, I'm, I kind of have a storytelling nature. So I might just jump in with sort of how I um, came to this topic and why I feel really interested and engaged with it. So um, if that's okay, I'll just launch. Go for it. So if we could just, you know, kind of put ourselves back to, I'm really very present for me this time that we're in the end of February, because we're on the year mark really of when our world totally changed. You know, this time last year, I was like getting so excited to go on a spring break trip and um, just coming off the North Carolina Counseling Association Conference and had no idea what would be in store the following like week after that, when um, the COVID-19 pandemic Um, hit and started spreading. Um, And so I was actually on spring break when I found out um, that classes were all moving online. Um, I was was actually in Hawaii. And so it was very tempting to be like, oh, online. That was before we really understood the full weight of what we were dealing with and and what that meant. And then quickly got on board to, um, you know, life as we know it radically changed. And so did education. I mean, to contextualize, you know, I teach in a 
and Boone, North Carolina at Appalachian State um, in a KCREP accredited program that prior to March of 2020 had taught, uh, I think had only had one online class. So it was never in my repertoire to teach students how to counsel virtually. Um, in fact, I, I even have talked to my current students in school counseling um, that when they had me last year, we never talked about what virtual school counseling even was. Um, and so then radically shifting and pivoting to, uh, as an instructor, getting ready to engage in this online environment, but also to hold that we're training clinicians, practitioners, um, to deliver these services virtually. Um, and so you can imagine it was just completely uh, everything blown open. And so what I was struck by when I got back from Hawaii uh, and got attuned was, okay, I was getting inundated with a lot of emails and a lot of focus within the university of how to pivot these classes online. All right, so lots of support around technology champions. I would never put myself in that category, but thank goodness there are people that do wear the technology champion cape um, and made themselves generously available to, okay, if you've never taught online, here's how you're gonna do, here's how you can set up your Blackboard or Canvas course. Here's how you do modules. Here's some things about sync, oh my gosh, synchronous versus asynchronous learning, hybrid, high flex, all these vocabulary words that I was previously unfamiliar. And I felt, okay, this is, this is valuable, but as a counselor, that is not where my mind went. My mind went to, we are in the middle of a global pandemic. And at least in my experience, in my professional experience, I had never faced a circumstance like that where I was as engaged in this trauma of dealing with this pandemic as my students were. And also acknowledging that this pandemic um, amplified privileges that I already have, white, female, upper middle class, educated, having a job that I was able to maintain, having access to healthcare, being integrated into a healthcare system. And so really acknowledging that while I'm simultaneously experiencing this with my students, because of our social identities, we were all impacted by it differently. And how in the world was I gonna bring that into the classroom? Um, and so that's really where I was searching for a framework. Because like I said, I got a lot about like, here's how you do As You Learn, which is our online um, platform at Appalachian State. But I really wanted to know, here's how you go into a classroom online virtually and connect with students and support them and acknowledge that their learning is going to be impacted because of what we know about trauma in the brain. I mean, especially in our field, what we know about trauma in the brain and learning. Um, and so I was really searching for, I need, I need some support. I need some framework. So I just drew on what I already loved, which was relational cultural theory, a framework that I um, fell in love with in my PhD program um, at UNCG for any listeners that are probably Spartans. Woo -woo. Um, and Dr. Jose Villalba, another shout out to him. Um, he's at Wake Forest now, but it was in a class there with him that I first came across this theory and it in intimately and intuitively connected with both my lived experience and how I supported mostly K-12 students because I'm a former school counselor, um, how I thought about supporting them and their families. Wow, that's, that's the story, yeah. And so, yeah. yeah, and so, you know, we're thinking back, you're right, like we're almost at the one year anniversary, um, although the 
the word anniversary in some ways <laughs> connotes a celebration. Right. <laughs> I don't know what kind of celebrating we'll be doing. Um, and like the world has shifted dramatically in a year and in your world as a professor, things have, have really pivoted on, on a dime and things have shifted and you've adapted and the whole education system's adapted. And I'm curious to know more about relational cultural theory and, and how that relates to this integrative work that you're doing right now. Yeah, so I'll talk about it from the space. Maybe first, what's coming up for me is how I really thought about it um, and engaging in the connection and relationship with my students during this time. But I'll try to weave in, of course, its applicability to clients um, and, of course, student clients. I use that term a lot because of my school counseling background. So for me, you know, I, I kind of just talked about, all right, yes, I, I can figure out what I would say are like the mechanics of doing this stuff online, you know, like, okay, that that's accessing um, some just knowledge. I'll have to like figure some things out and, and do that piece. But what I really wanted to focus on was the relational connection and trying to figure out for me, how I was going to make those connections with students online. Um, and so, with RCT, relational cultural theory, what it's such a useful framework to think about how we privilege the relationship, whatever relationship. And so just to give like, maybe I'll just actually launch into a little bit of background about that while I'm talking about it. So it's a theory that arose um, to prominence in the like late 70s, um, feminist theory approach. Um, Jean Baker Miller out of the Stone Center um, was one of the founders of it. And then she connected with some other women. She wrote um, Judith Jordan, Maureen Walker. Um, and for people interested, the Wellesley Center for Women, that website has a lot on relational cultural theory. It's a great resource. But really what they were um, proposing is sort of a depart, not sort of, a dramatic departure from this idea that previously growth is through individuation, right? Like, okay, I am, um, my growth as an individual is really important. The more I'm able to actualize myself, that's really about what's, you know, going to be associated with wellness and success. And so what they're realizing is, especially for women, that's such a departure from how we connect and organize our lives. Really, rather than separation, growth and connection, growth through connection is what really is valuable. And that it's not just connecting uh, for connecting sake, it's actually that connection drives growth and it drives further connection. So the relationship piece is so important. And from a counseling perspective and from a counselor educator perspective, it's that approach that really for me helps provide the foundation for how I teach helping relationships. Because as we know from good research on common factors, all Wemple's work and everything, that really, if you take theory out, it's not necessarily the theory or technique you're using that's driving the effectiveness. It's that connection. It's the relationship. So I love any kind of research with clients where they're talking about their critical experiences in counseling, what keeps them in counseling, and it's feeling connected to the person in front of them. Uh, and so how do we teach students how to connect? And for me, the concepts of relational cultural theory provide that framework or point of how we drive connection. And so I'll just talk about the tenets real quick that are really important. Um, some of the basic ones are this concept of mutual empathy. So not 
necessarily that like, hey, Reese, I empathize with you, you empathize with me, it's mutual. But more that we can recognize that we as counselors, we as educators can be impacted by the experience our clients or students are having. And to hold that weight, so I always put my hand, y'all can't see me, but I always put my hand to my heart to signify that, which is to recognize like the courage and vulnerability and power in what we are watching and we have the privilege to watch people navigate through. And so to talk about the pandemic and teaching, of course, that one becomes so salient for me that I can't just go into the classroom and pretend as if some way I've compartmentalized my experience and that I'm not going through the same thing, right? Like, I'm here, I'm with you, we're in this together. I think that's such a message I've tried to convey in every single, my, single one of my courses. I'm here, I'm with you, we're in this together. Um, and I think that embraces that tenet of mutual empathy. Um, not that I ever want my students to feel um, like they have to take care of me or shepherd me in that way, but that I can have some courage and vulnerability to look and say, this is really hard. My four-year-old who would normally be in daycare with his friends and having this wonderful learning experience is now, you know, with his parents who are both working full-time at home, trying to also take care of his needs. That's hard, um, you know, uh, and it's hard to worry about our health. It's hard to worry about our loved ones. How are we holding all of these things? So I think that mutual empathy concept becomes really important. The other concept around empathy that RCT uh, gives us a concept for is anticipatory empathy. And, and Reese, I know, you know we've talked about this before, but you know it's the way the empathy is nuanced that I found, find so valuable. And so the, the piece about anticipatory empathy that's so critical is, knowledge in context, empathy in context. So that piece, of course, is driving, not only am I going to acknowledge the emotions and feelings that people are experiencing, but I'm thinking about it in context. And just like I talked about earlier, trying to really acknowledge the identities and social identities of our students, of our clients, and that all of those, the intersectionality of those, is going to impact person's experience and how we can support them in that experience and acknowledging that experience. And so as we're talking about anniversaries, and I am going to think that's going to be my new task is to think what's the antonym for that. Um, you know, Ahmaud Arbery's death a year ago, yesterday, his murder, um, and the people that murdered him still, no justice. And so when we talk about anticipatory empathy, also important to acknowledge what is happening for individuals and their identities that is also deeply painful and wounding and how to bring that up in the classroom without triggering and re-traumatizing individuals. Because it's one thing for me to acknowledge that and to feel like that's important to acknowledge because it's important to recognize the injustices that are happening but also important for me to realize that if that's not my lived experience, my ability to come into the classroom and talk about it is very different than someone's ability who was impacted on a direct level in that way. And so again, searching continually, and this year gave us so many instances of that, to think about how do I do that? How do I stay congruent and recognize and bring in the context of what's happening in our world without creating a situation where people are walking into a classroom and having to sit in trauma. Um, and that's been hard. And that's something that I am still learning <laughs> to do. And I don't know that I do well. Um, 
I think I'm trying to think about, I do it with a lot of self-reflection and a lot of um, desire to continue learning and getting feedback from students and peers about how to do that better. Um, but, but to go back to RCT, that was really useful for me in trying to understand how, I, how do I bring these things into the classroom. And then the final thing that I pull a lot from with RCT is this prioritization and explicit recognition of power and privilege. Um, because in RCT, it's a feminist approach, it's a social justice approach that really acknowledges that there have been dominant narratives that control the messages that we hear, the stories that we tell, and the way things are framed, and that we have to acknowledge that power and privilege, especially with our identities that have, been, have um, experienced privilege, so that we can understand how that impacts our view of the world and do some very critical self-analysis of our blind spots. So again, that we are not unintentionally um, doing more harm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, this is so salient to just the, not only the experience of students right now, but to the entire nation and the entire world as, you know, globally, we're continuing to struggle with the pandemic. And in preparation for this, for this podcast, we were, we were talking about just how relevant this is, like, you know, the, the usefulness of RCT um, in the classroom, you were talking about the uh, we call it the triple pandemics of COVID-19, um, anti-Black racism, uh, you know, national unemployment. And this was, you know, I thought maybe like even four after, um, you know, the assault on the Capitol and on January 6th. So we've been sitting with a lot for a long period of time. And this has been a huge weight in, in my experience and the, the clinical work that I'm doing. I, I think that it's been a large, <laughs> in many ways, unnamed contributor to stress and anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And I imagine as a professor working with students, like this has been something that you've been experiencing and sitting with, and it's more complicated because you're not in person. This is all online. And so how are you bringing in these tenants of RCT into the online classroom? Mm -hmm. So one, I think, is to really use just a lot of, um, of genuineness. And so talking about how I'm experiencing things um, and being appropriately vulnerable. I talked about that before. Um, I'm really aware of in the classroom when I'm sharing, I think it's important to share struggle. I mean, that's connecting. I mean, we all have faced imposter syndrome at some point or another. And, and the more I've been in this field, the more I just wanna talk about that. <laughs> um, because I am just aware of how much it shapes students' experience, instructors' experience. Um, and so when we don't talk about the challenge, Reese, what can happen is people internalize that. Well, I'm looking around me in the middle of the world falling apart. I will not, well, I was gonna try to avoid using the dumpster fire, you know, that's still seems so appropriate, that meme. But anyway, <clears throat> you know, I'm looking around me and people are, they seem like they're still coming to class. They're still trying to hold it together. They're still, you know, showing up. So they're managing, like, there's got to be something wrong with me. And so I think to have some just complete authenticity around the challenge and the struggle. Um, certainly, I have been trying to find the balance and, and explore that tension of what feels appropriate there. What I've been using a lot of, uh, Reese, is the term um, 
reciprocal grace. Now I know I tried to use that with, <laughs> I was in a training the other, the other day, an online training, you know, and I'm still trying to get in there and explore more of like trauma informed in the online environment. And I threw that into a chat and I could just feel the inner hour. I was like, yep, this person's straight out of the counseling program. But anyway, let me tell you what I mean about that. And I'm happy to embrace, you know, whatever critique somebody might have of this concept. But reciprocal grace to me means like, how am I bringing RCT in the classroom? Well, with mutuality and relationship and connection. You know, I try to have a policy, or actually I try to avoid policies that are in any way because we don't know what's gonna happen. We cannot know what is gonna happen tomorrow. Our loved one could be in the hospital. We ourselves could be sick. We could have to, you know, there are any number of things that this is um, current context has provided. And so um, I like to tell students, I trust you. You know, if you, I believe that if you can be here, you will be here. And if you can't, there's a reason. And I need to, I, I, I do that because I want um, you to, to sometimes have to extend that same grace to me. How can I guarantee that my child's not gonna run in the door or you know that somebody something's gonna happen to me or my family? Um, and so I think that mutuality is really important, that shared collective community. And I think community building is something I've tried to do in the classes more because what I found, Reese, is you know, relationship and connection gives us energy and zest. Well, I don't know many people who who approach going into Zoom thinking this is zestful. <laughs> just, I mean, there is no fun or lightness in a Zoom environment. Um, and I've tried to think of ways to bring that some. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, because we have scheduled in Counselor Ed, you know, we schedule the class time. So you're going to know that you're going to go in there and get this content time. But what can't be scheduled is those times you would see each other before class, like in the hallway or in, um, you know, we have a room in, in Appalachian State for um, graduate students, a lounge where a lot of students would get together and do work and things like that. There's no longer that place to meet somebody in there or heating up your lunch or um, on break. So these informal connections that are really valuable, those are the spaces where you're like, this is really challenging. Like, I don't know if I can do this. I, you know, I, I need support. Like, what are you doing? Let's, let's connect. Let's get together. Um, those spaces are missing in this online environment. And so it's called on, I think, all of us to, to try to be creative about how to create those. I mean, Zoom breakout rooms aren't quite it. But I do think about trying to, what we have been able to do in our program is to create more informal spaces. Um, so we just had a gathering um, couple weeks ago of alumni and it was kind of radical because normally I'd have like a kind of scripted program but the main intent was just to connect so we really just created a lot of breakout rooms a lot of opportunities to um, be together in small groups and, and so I think that's come in and of course the other way I've tried to in, in incorporate RCT is to really like acknowledge um, context and to not shy away from talking about that in class but also, and this is where we haven't talked about this piece yet, the trauma-informed, sort of how where RCT and trauma-informed counseling or trauma-informed education meet, um, is thinking about how to offer students autonomy and choice. So 
it does feel really congruent. You know, January 6th, when the insurrection happened, I have school counseling students that are working with K-12 students right now, you know, and have questions that they're trying to make sense of this, make meaning, understand what, what what's happening. Um, and so we're going to have to talk about that. We need to talk about that. Um, but we also need to kind of think about that intentionally and prepare for ways that people can engage. Um, and so offering choice and offering preparation. So some of the ways I've been trying to do that more um, is to send out like messages ahead of time, like, okay, here's some resources, here's some things we're gonna be addressing, take a look. We're gonna be doing that from this time. If you feel like, you know, this is something you want to come in at this point of the conversation at this point in class that you can attend to, do so, but then we'll, we'll um, fit the content that we had scheduled at this place. So you can pop in either way. Hey, we, if people are comfortable in that earlier discussion with recording it, I will ask if they would mind it being recorded. If, if they don't mind, I will record. I'll make that available. You can watch it later. So there's lots of different ways that you can participate. Um, and then there's some choices in, in how you're doing that and when you're doing that. That, I mean, that choice, I think, ties really well into this idea of reciprocal grace, right? Like mm -hmm. recognizing that your student First, there's inherent trust in your student right. that like, yeah, I trust that you're going to you're going to get to this and that mm -hmm. you have <laughs> buy in still to this yes. program. And I get that things come up. And so these are the blocks. These are the choices. This is the flexibility. And I trust that you're going to hop on and, and be a part of this discussion and a part of this classroom. It sounds mm -hmm. like a very um, inclusive environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because in, in some ways we tapped into something that's been frustrating me a lot, which is um, that I still feel like sometimes we move through spaces trying to be preventative or reactive to an individual who might, and I'm putting up air quotes, take advantage. Well, does it, well, wait, if they can choose, then can they choose not to do anything? Well, I guess technically, but in my eight years of counselor ed experience, I have never observed that. I mean, in, um, in my experience, with, when we trust individuals, when we have a relationship, when we are invested, I have always felt students match that investment. And what I'll say, you know, just um, with real emotion and humility is that I have used this phrase over and over in every class from March on, which is everything may have changed, but the students haven't. Like that is why I show up because you show up. We are showing up together through this. And that is, again, to talk about RCT, like, you know, I love it because again, you know, it's, it's my language, but um, some people may have funny reactions, but you know, really one of the things they say is when you connect, there is empowerment. Zest is actually a word, zest. Um, and I feel that with students all the time. You know, even when we first get on Zoom, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, you know, gotta get ready. But when you're connecting, you feel that you, you it kind of fades away. Um, and you remember like, yep, nope, here we are. Like, it's a different medium, it's a different platform, but we're still present with each other. Yeah, and then that opens up the door for that mutual empathy and mm -hmm. that level of connection that has been missing in so many spaces because of the inherent isolation of the pandemic. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing I haven't mentioned yet that I think is, a, is really cool and important is um, 
RCT talks about, you know, the power of connection. That's what we've been focused on. But there's also um, language and an explicit understanding of the power of disconnection and what that feels like. And so, so many of us, I know you're working with clients now, that disconnection is so real, that isolation is so real. So when we talk about like when we connect and when we are authentic, if we are able to share our struggles and feel understood, like there is just this, it, I'll call it joy, I mean, and relief. And the opposite of that is when we're in spaces where we're not able to talk about things. So that, that, that's what still gets in my, I, you know, I'm a pen thrower, so I'm holding my pen. I'm trying not to throw it for emphasis, but that's still, it's not named. We have to name things. And I'm still hoping that there's more naming uh, in systems of the impact of trauma and how people are coping, showing up and learning. Um, I'm still waiting for that because when it's not named, it fuels disconnection. It fuels shame. It fuels an individual um, thinking that there's something, there's a deficit in them. Um, when in reality, we are in a system or systems that are extremely steeped in this connection. And, and if we talk about race in this country and we talk about the, that impact, there has not been healing um, because so much is still not been named and acknowledged. And so um, what I'll shout out is if anybody is really interested in reading um, the work of Maureen Walker, who is actually working on a book right now about applying RCT to disconnection um, within the larger culture. Um, I can't wait to read it. I mean, she's prolific and I know it'll be really profound. So what I, all of that to say is I think it's a really also useful theory, not only for the individual counseling relationship, not only for a smaller microcosm, but on our larger, um, applied to our larger culture, it also is really useful, yeah. important. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about um, the, <laughs> how not naming leads to disconnection. And I mean, that's the opposite of RCT, right? And right opposite of the tenants that you're working towards in your personal life and in your professional life as, as an educator. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, for folks out there who aren't as familiar or as versed um, in RCT, what do, you, what do you think are a few things like that they can take home with them um, from this conversation today? Mm -hmm. I think that's such a good question. I think one would be to, I'll, I'll say it, to take a risk of naming the unnamed, of being vulnerable, of really um, sharing what you're experiencing. Um, and so tapping that courage. But I also think, you know, on the flip side of that, to really be present with others when they are sharing that too, that like deep listening. Um, sometimes, you know, we do listen to solve, but just to listen to be with. And I also think just to find spaces where we can have no other goal than just to connect. And that feels really radical, I think, especially now, because um, in some ways my life is more scheduled and in some ways it's less scheduled. Um, I would say, I, know, I don't know about for other people, but for me, having to be more intentional about connection is certainly true. Um, and, I, and I would say 
for many people out there, finding people and spaces that are going through similar experiences um, that you can connect with outside of just the larger narrative that's going on. Because um, like I said, for me, you know, as a mom um, in academia, doing this work, it's a challenge. Like I, um, oh, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, you know, trying to be a full-time present parent caregiver and do my full-time job. And I need to be around people who can, can own that with me, share that with me, support with that with me. And so um, based on our social identities, I think it's really important to connect around that and find strengths too in, in spaces um, when we're able. You know, hearing that reminded me of the word that I've kind of been carrying <laughs> around with me as a as a um, as a counselor, and that's curiosity. Right? Mm -hmm. like how curiosity can breed understanding and, and ultimately mm -hmm. empathy. Mm -hmm. And you know, like one of the other thing, um, I've been yeah, I'm always looking for connection. <laughs> that sounds so cheesy as we're talking about it, but but that's just how I like set up. I really kind of approach life inductively a lot of ways. Like I really kind of move through the world and just try to be present and see what comes into the path, my path. And I'm like, I love being curious. I love learning new things. I'm always reading. And when I discover like a new concept or new framework, I'm always trying to think about, okay, how does that map on or connect to something that's already existing um, within me that I like see the world through? And I'll tell you what I've been really into lately is U UDL or Universal Design for Learning and um, just had a cool presentation from um, the person that does the UDL at Appalachian State, Lillian Nave, I think is her name, I want to give her credit. Um, and there's within UDL, Universal Design for Learning, um, there's been some newer work at looking at cultural lenses, UDL through a cultural lens. And so I just last week came across a framework based on what she shared with us. And it's an individuated versus, wait, hold on, I got it right here. Integrated, individuated versus integrated framework. And there's seven different ways that looks like. So traditionally, I just think RCT maps onto it so well. Like traditionally the narrative, like within learning has been very individualistic. You know, I'm giving, I'm learning, I'm doing my product and I'm being graded on this individually. Um, and my connection to my learning is so that I can go out and better myself and that piece. Whereas an integrated vision is like, what the purpose of learning, really about wisdom and connection, can, how do I take what I'm learning and give it back to a community? Um, how do we really like flip this whole way of thinking about education and higher ed? And so anyway, when I look at that, I just see RCT layering over it so perfectly. And so I might also offer up um, that if, if anybody out there is interested in that, I think it's a really cool complementary concept or way of exploring it. Cool. Also sounds like opportunity for a research paper. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sweet. So in that, in that vein, Dr. Perguson, um, you know, for those interested in learning more about relational cultural theory, for those interested in learning more about, you know, trauma-informed care in an online counseling, or excuse me, online education classroom, like what resources would you suggest for them? Yeah, so I did, I knowing I, I might be asked a question like that, I have some books, like The Power of Connection um, 
this is Recent Developments in Relational Cultural Theory, edited by Judith Jordan. That's a great intro into RCT. Um, and the other one is Love, How Connections Heal. Um, and I'll just tell you that I mentioned Maureen Walker um, and her work, but she's got a piece in here that's really powerful. Um, and so I would recommend, like, these are short little chapters, but things like um, making great memories, empathy, derailment, and growth, walking a piece of the way, race, power, and therapeutic move movement, um, and of course, how relationships heal. So those are two great ones. Trauma-informed care, we haven't, I know with our time, we didn't get into that as much, but um, there's some good work out of social work, actually, where um, some researchers and scholars there have begun to apply the trauma-informed care, TIC approach, Fallon-Harris, to education. Um, and so there's some articles that are starting to come out there. Um, and then, fingers crossed, um, talking about connection, this feels kind of full circle. Um, one of the ways that I continued to get energy through this time was to connect with others and particularly other women about their experiences. And so I worked on um, a manuscript with a couple of colleagues from our department uh, within looking at specifically at how to integrate RCT into the online classroom um, and, and how it overlays with trauma-informed approaches. And so we have submitted that. We're hopeful that maybe um, it'll be coming out soon, but this was really cool collaboration and certainly um, demonstrates uh, interventions and tools that we used in each of our classrooms from spring on um, and really weaves in how we approached the events that were happening um, in the larger sociocultural context too and how we brought that into the classroom. Sounds awesome. Yeah. And um, would you mind sending me some links and I'll post them on, sure. on the website with the corresponding podcast? Oh, yeah, definitely. And for those interested, if you um, check out the Wellesley Center website, too, but I'll send all of those to you. Okay, awesome. Thanks. Mm. And, you know, last last question related to this topic. Um, any, any parting thoughts on on the subject? You know, I think I've covered, I've covered, I think most of it. I don't, there's nothing like rising to the surface, but I'll like let it simmer for a minute. And if something comes up, I'll, I'll share before we end. Okay, sounds good. Well, I've been really grateful for your time and your expertise on this subject. And I just, you know, just like the, the <laughs> courses I took with you, um, really struck by your ability to create a space and hold it and, and share really complicated topics in a very clear way. Thank you. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. And so as promised, we've got some rapid fire questions. Um, always really enjoy these because who knows what's going to happen. That's um, right. So just, just off the top of your head, don't think too hard about them. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got eight questions. First okay. one, what's been your most recent Netflix binge? <laughs> Queen's Gambit. And I know nothing about chess. So that's been awesome. So we're not going to find you on chess.com. No. no, but I, but I'm so wanting more of Queen's Gambit. I loved it. Um, last book read for pleasure. Oh yeah, I brought <laughs> um, the Night Watchman. I like blew through this book. Really cool book. Um, so loved it. Highly recommend. Louise Erdrich. Cool. Um, twenty twenty most played band. Camp. Camp. That's C-A-A-M-P. 
Yes, by and by. I have that song just um, on replay. I, I actually listened to it on repeat, um, and I won't even say it. Anyway, but there's a line in there. This past year, I got so much older, and I just resonate with that so much, but I love, have loved listening to them. Yes. You know, the end of 2020 when Spotify is like, this is your most played song. And you're yeah. like, how long, how many times did I listen to that? Yeah. No, I know. It'll be, it'll be shocking. Yes. Cool. Um, so you can't say my podcast, but I'm curious, Dr. P, what's your favorite podcast right now? Oh my gosh, this is going to be radical. I don't really listen to podcasts. I, um, it, it, I know, I would say the ones I have listened to on being, I like still try to, you know, but I don't really, I'm like so... I, I just, I don't listen to podcasts, but I'll listen to this one, Reese, and I'll listen to your other ones, but <laughs> I just, you. you know, so, yeah, yeah I, I, I maybe like 1% of the population. <laughs> I'll send it to you before, uh, before it goes live, so you'll at least get to listen to it. Great. Um, all right. I also really like this question. You're stranded on an island. What's one book that you can bring? Oh, okay. That's an, I'm looking at it too. I love um, Young Playblow Inward. Mm. I finished it. It's like a, he's awesome. Um, Nicaraguan poet, a poet from Nicaragua. And um, just these little like wisdom nuggets. So I'll sit with them every day and I could just sit with them every day for always on an island. Cool. Um, so you kind of mentioned it in our, in our podcast. How are you throwing your pins right now? Oh, I'm still throwing them at the screen. I always have them. I'm throwing them now. And I, um, I know for those in the audience, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's become a signature move because I've had alumni reach out to me and tell me that they have now started throwing pins at screens. And um, that is a joy burst. That's a, a phrase that I have <laughs> incorporated a lot. I don't know that it's my original phrase. Um, but I like to use it. So maybe that's the last thing I want to end, maybe end with, or you might have a rapid fire question. But one thing I'll say, Reese, that has been st stuck with me is like, sometimes we do have to make our own joy. And what I've realized is um, sometimes we have to be intentional about how we create that. So I tell all my students, um, if something good happens, send it to me. Like my inbox is full of drudgery. So please like, send me like an update, something cool you did with a client, like something cool. You read a new, I need a new Netflix binge because Queen's Gamut was, I've now totally run out and really dissatisfied with what I've tried to get into. Um, so send it my way. And I'll tell you, it has been the most amazing thing because if you say what you need, like I will just get these like I passed the CPCE, Dr. Ferguson, like, you know, or like, oh my gosh, we, we were talking about trying this and I tried it with my student and it worked great. Like, anyway, it's just been amazing. And to see students like using that framework, like, oh, had a joy burst and like, okay, share with us. So I will say, I don't ever, um, you know, my approach to life, I don't, ever want it to come across as, as if I'm not fully engaged in the depths of what we're experiencing. But I think that that's what I've also been aware of, Reese, um, thinking about this time and reading the stories of counselors who are working with clients right now and with students, I mean, that are really struggling and suffering. Like, 
hope is still needed. Like, and that, that's on us to try to like remain resilient and be hopeful. And so we have to balance, especially for those of you listening that are counselors that sit with stories of pain, you also have to balance that with stories of joy. Um, and, to, and so it can be hard because you have to be intentional <laughs> about creating those spaces. And so I do wish all of you to find that time and space. And if my email gets popped up, you want to joy burst me, <laughs> send it to me in an email. I'll be vicariously excited and celebrating with you. Sweet. I think you just answered the last question, which is oh. one thing you think is worth remembering. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The joy, like you just, we have to keep finding it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you, I'm just thinking about these funny little anecdotes of, that I have with my peers and with my friends and colleagues um, that have been very sustaining in this time of just trying to connect and find, find the humor in, um, in the spaces that we can while also, because that really allows us to do both deeply. Like if I can't know that I can come back from really sitting with all of the things we've had to sit with these past 11 months, Reese, like I couldn't really fully experience all that. And that's important to experience. All of it is important to experience and honor. There is a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and that has come about for a reason. And there needs to be a lot of healing and to heal, we have to be able to show up and bring that energy. And so um, it is radical to hold to that in these spaces. And so to all of you listening, which I, I would imagine a lot of people in helping professionals, like you all are the heroes and sheroes that are holding that for people. And I do hope that you get some of that reciprocated to you as well. Thanks so much for your time, Dr. P. Yeah, you're welcome. I feel really grateful and um, it's been really nice getting connected this way. Thanks. Thank you. This is the Counseling Connection Podcast. For additional information about relational cultural theory, including articles and additional reading, as well as information about Dr. Lucy Perguson, you may visit reesewells.com. Copyright by Reese Wells. Music by Alan Lawrence. Artwork by Brady Lawrence.